Welcome to the Redeemer Covenant Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. At Redeemer, we are dedicated to following Jesus and connecting people to God's transforming love. If you want to stay connected to all that's happening here, visit rcctulsa.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I want to add my welcome to all of you for being present, but particularly our guests and our visitors here this morning. We're honored to have you here, and we hope that your experience of the risen Christ comes very much through for you. Denise just read the reading of the 24th chapter of Luke, and it happens to be my very favorite scripture, absolutely favorite scripture in the Bible. And there's a character in there named Cleopas, and he's walking along the road with a friend. I want to identify that friend in a minute, but for a moment, I want to tell you that I want to do this first person. I want to be Cleopas and see this story through Cleopas's eyes as he unfolds his history, his story of his life with Christ. So use your imagination and picture the story of Jesus and how two of his friends encountered the resurrection. My name is Cleopas. I was one of the early followers of Jesus. There were the 12 disciples, the famous ones that you might know the names of, and those were the inner circle of Jesus. But there, were, there was another group of people. They were called the 70. And there were 70 of us, and we served as helpers in Jesus' ministry. That was our function, to make sure things ran smoothly, to handle the crowds, to provide the food, to look for places of lodging, just to be helpers in the ministry of Jesus. So it was quite a task that we got to perform, and it was incredible that we got to spend so much time with Jesus. Luke mentions me in his gospel that you just heard read, and my friend, the text says simply, a friend, Well, John says that that friend was Mary. Mary's my wife. Now, there's lots of Marys in the New Testament. There are famous Marys. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary Magdalene. This wasn't one of those Marys. This was just a regular Mary, my wife. We were walking down the road to Emmaus back to her house at the events of the crucifixion and afterwards. We were both present at the crucifixion itself. Mary and I were there. We had followed Jesus for a long time, for many months. But we were there at the crucifixion. And I can't begin to tell you what a horrible day that was. There was Jesus, beaten, beaten, bloody, betrayed, slowly dying on the cross, And many of his followers were gathered at the scene with us. We were there, some of us very close. And we experienced what he experienced. And we saw the things that we can't have just, they can't leave our minds. We still couldn't believe that they would do this to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. An innocent man whom they wanted to kill. What was really awful about it was... While he's being crucified, and there were other people being crucified with him, but while these people were up there on these crosses dying, and it's a horrible way to die, horrible way to die, while they were up there together, 
all being crucified, obviously the eyes were mostly on Jesus. And while Jesus was suffering, while he was going through this mental and physical anguish, he said things that we'll never forget. And he said things that are almost impossible to understand. But looking at the crowds who were taunting Jesus and sort of somehow perversely enjoying this spectacle, they began to yell at Jesus to come down from the cross. And, and if you're really Jesus, you wouldn't be going through with, with, with all of this. If, why don't you call on your God and why didn't he save you? And Jesus looks at the crowd and he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Who would say something like that? Then there was this man who was being crucified on one side of Jesus. And he was a criminal. He was actually convicted of a crime. He had stolen something, and the cruel punishment of the Roman government was, was awful. But he turned to Jesus, and he said very simply, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responded to him, and probably uh, at that point, a voice that hurt to talk. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Who would say that? Who would say that? I would tell you, I think it was only Jesus. Who else would think of someone else's needs in the midst of his own agony? While Jesus was dying, while Mary and I were observing this, I couldn't help but not only think how horrible it was, but I, in sort of in a way of escaping, I began to think of some of the things that Jesus did when we were together and he was alive. I began to remember some of the healing stories that Jesus did. I remember the time when Jairus came, Jairus was the leader of the synagogue. Theoretically, he was a, a real critic of Jesus. But his daughter, 12 years old, was dying. And Jairus fought through a crowd of people. People were just swarming around Jesus. And Jairus fought through the crowd. And he came to Jesus and he said, My daughter is dying. Would you come and heal her? Jesus didn't even have to think about it. He said, Of course I will. And he tried to get through the crowd to get to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. Jesus understood what a child meant to a parent, and he's on the way as fast as he could get through the crowd. So Jesus makes his move to get through the crowd, and he feels some power go out of him. And the power that left him was the power that was taken willingly by a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years. She had been bleeding, and she touches Jesus' robe, and that's all she needed. Her faith was so intense, and the presence of Jesus was so strong that immediately she was healed, and the bleeding had stopped, and her life was utterly changed. Jesus noticed that some power had gone out of him, and he recalled how faithful that woman must have been to have believed that simple act would have made her well. Meanwhile, Jesus is still trying to get to Jairus' daughter, and someone comes into the crowd and says, don't bother, it's too late, it's too late. Jairus' daughter is dead. Well, there was 
all kinds of grief being expressed, Jesus didn't stop for a second. He said, don't, don't worry about this. He went to Jairus' house, and he saw the, the dead 12-year-old girl lying on a bed. And Jesus just grabbed her little hand, and he said, be well and rise up. And immediately she was healed. She sat on the edge of the bed, and then Jesus, who remembers not only the big things but the little things, said, knowing 12-year-olds are often hungry, somebody get her something to eat. She's hungry. She's been through quite a lot. I mean, how do you forget those things? I remember the time that Mark records early in his gospel about the leper who came to Jesus. I'll never forget hearing those words. The leper said to Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, that's not the way a, a normally healthy person would, would come up to someone. If you're willing, would you do something nice for me? You would just say, would you help me? He was so beat down. The leprosy had been with him for so long that he was sick in body and soul and mind. He was a broken man. And so he said, if you're willing to be near even someone like me, you can make me clean. And Jesus immediately said, I am willing. Be clean. And the man was completely healed. Jesus understood the mental anguish, the loneliness, the separation that this man had experienced by having what was thought to be a highly communicable disease. Jesus healed him. But Jesus didn't just heal him. He touched him. He reached out and he touched the man. And he said, I'm willing, be clean. That man hadn't been touched by another human being for years, maybe decades. And Jesus broke through all of that and made him well. You don't forget those kinds of things. You just don't forget those kinds of things. You see, it wasn't just his healings, though, that made an impact on the followers of Jesus. The healings were spectacular. Don't get me wrong. They were spectacular, and they were they were true. They happened. But I think maybe it was Jesus' teachings that most got to me, that most challenged me, that most made me aware of just who it was we were following. You see, in our world, the, the teachings that Jesus gave were, were well, well, they were unusual to say the least. In our world at the time, it was a place of division and hate Nobody got along. The Roman occupying government was corrupt and cruel. The religious leaders were weak and ineffective. Jews hated Gentiles, and Gentiles hated Jews. We all hated the Romans, and the Romans hated all of us. I hope your modern world isn't like that. But something tells me that sin is sin, and you probably have some of that going on. Mostly... Our world was just unloving. It was just terribly, terribly unloving. And that was the singular uniqueness of Jesus' message, to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. When asked what was the greatest commandment, that's what he would tell us. 
He says we're called to love God and we're called to love our neighbor as ourself. That's the sum of the law and the covenants. This is the promise. In Matthew's gospel is recorded the sayings from the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus said, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth, trust me, nobody said that kind of thing. And nobody ever believed anything good would happen to those who are meek. When he said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Nobody showed mercy in our world. Mercy was a foreign concept. And yet mercy is what Jesus offered. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Nobody said that in our world. Nobody meant for those to be true. People in our world were doubling down every day on hate, but you couldn't miss the message of love from Jesus. And a lot of people didn't like it. And that's part of the reason the events on Friday happened as they did. Well, after the crucifixion, after that horrible day, Mary and I decided to just walk back to our little home in Emmaus, about seven miles away. So we're walking along this path, walking back home, frankly, really wondering about our future. What will we do? And I have to admit that we were also worried that they might come after us. We were followers of Jesus and identified as such. What would happen to us? Where do we go? What do we do? Who do we believe in? We heard along the way a rumor, a strange rumor, that the tomb was empty, and so everyone just assumed, and everyone was saying, somebody had stolen the body of Jesus. And we thought to ourselves, why would anyone do that? Why would they steal the body of Jesus? So we kept walking. And as we walked, before long, a man came alongside of us. It was Jesus, but we hadn't a clue that it was Jesus. And I know you're thinking, why didn't you recognize he was Jesus? Well, a few reasons. He was kind of glowing, and his body looked a little bit different. But mostly we were kept from recognizing him because God wasn't ready for us to recognize him yet. And so we're walking along, and this man said, essentially, why the long faces? Jesus had something of a sense of humor, too. Why the long faces? And we said back to him, surely you've heard. Everybody in Jerusalem knows that they put to death Jesus. They crucified him, and they put him in a tomb, and now his body's been stolen. Are you the only one? Are you the only one who doesn't get this and hasn't heard about it? So the man listened for a while as they poured out our, as we poured out our grief, as we shared with him our pain and hurt. And after a while, we had sort of gotten our grief out, and he began to talk. And he unfolded the scriptures. This guy really knew the Bible. And he unfolded the Old Testament scriptures about why this day had to happen and why all of these events were occurring. He was so wise and so learned, and he was so kind. Finally, 
we got to our house. And it's a customary thing in that culture where I came from that, that in, in those days you, you offered hospitality to a guest. So we said, would you want to spend the night? He said, no, I must be going. And we said, but you're welcome here. And he said, okay, I'll spend the night. Thank you. At least stay with you for dinner. And so Mary fixed a little bit of dinner. There was a little bit of bread and there was a, a lamb, some lamb, and there was some fruit, things that we normally had for dinner. And so Jesus picks up the bread as we sat down. He broke the bread and he gave it to us. And when he did so, all the lights came on. We understood. This was Jesus, the Lord of life, who had been raised from the dead. This wasn't a stolen body. This was a resurrected body. His promise of kingship had come true. This was the truth. And then, like nothing, he disappeared from our eyes. So we ran back to tell the other disciples. And then there were other reports and other, other people's testimony that they had seen Jesus. Jesus was indeed alive. The Apostle Paul, who would come along just a bit later, said there were over 500 direct witnesses of the resurrected Christ. The Lord of life had come back to life by the power of the living God. There are a few takeaways that I have from all of this experience. And the first one is, when you go through a really difficult time, and for Mary and me, that was a really difficult time. But all of you have had difficult times and seasons in your life. They happen to all of us. When you go through a really difficult time, what I learned was Jesus doesn't become distant from you. He actually draws near. We were just two people on a pathway walking home, totally dejected, and Jesus came to us. And we have found, we continue to find that the risen Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit comes near to us in seasons of difficulty and trial. When you're going through painful times, just understand God comes close. He doesn't go far away from you. The other thing we learned, and we learned so much, the other thing we learned was about the, the promise of hope. Jesus had told his disciples and the 70 and all who would listen that you tear this temple down and in three days it'll be built back up. No one got it. No one understood what he meant. But what he meant was, I will rise from the dead. I will live. And he did. When he said it, we didn't really know what he meant. But hope just overwhelmed us as we thought back to that and other things that he said that he prophesied, that he said would come true, and they did, because that's the power of hope. To anyone here who regularly comes to this place and worships on Easter or any other Sunday, to those of you who, who are followers of Jesus, 
Let me just promise you, this thing of hope, this reality of the resurrection is the proof, as if we needed more, this is the proof that Jesus was the Son of God. Lean into him evermore. He has more for you than you can ever imagine. And if you happen to be here and celebrating Easter is not what you normally do, or perhaps you celebrate Easter, but the rest of your relationship with Christ is a little uncertain, you're not sure where he stands in relationship to you or you to him, let me just simply say that what Jesus went through and what God did in raising him from the dead was not an act done just for religious people who seem to follow all of the rules. This act was for people who have had broken lives and lots of pain. This act is for those who need a savior. This act was all for those who need forgiveness and hope and salvation. This act was for those who long for eternal life and it is not had by becoming ever more religious. It is found by falling into the arms of a loving and forgiving Christ who will hold you and care for you and love you because that's who he is. Would you pray with me? Loving God, for the promise of Easter, for the goodness of who you are, for the promise of the resurrection, for life in this life that is lived with joy and life to come which will be lived with joy unspeakable. We, the Easter people, give you thanks. Through Christ the living Lord we pray. Amen.